Everybody's doing well. Had a great 4th of July. Mine was great. We were outside um, down the Pamlico River, which is in Bath, North Carolina. And it was dark. And they we didn't bring any bug spray. And so the whole time I'm watching the, the fireworks like this so I can keep the mosquitoes off of me. Everybody around us was probably like looking at me strangely. So that was our 4th of July. It was still great. We still had a great time, but good morning, everybody. Hope you all are doing well and have had a great week so far. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Corey. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Emmaus. If we haven't talked before, I'd love to chat with you after service today. But we have been going through our, our series this summer is Hebrews, the Supremacy of God, where we've been going through the book of Hebrews, diving in deep, learning more about this book and last, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, we had Powell teach. And Powell did an incredible job talking about the rest and resting in the Lord. And then we had the opportunity last Sunday to actually practice that as a whole community to have a Sabbath and rest. So I hope you got to do that. I don't know what you ended up doing. Maybe it was not restful. Hopefully it was restful. That was the goal. So awesome. So today we are going to be reading in Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there. If you don't have yours, we'll have it on the screen for you to see. And once you get there, I'm actually going to start at the very end of Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And then we're going to read all the way through chapter 5 to verse 10 of chapter 5. So, verse 14, chapter 4 of Hebrews, says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are the priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears unto him who was able to save from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience 
through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Today, as we're diving into this sermon, just want you to know, it's a three-point sermon. Just give you a heads up. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about high priests. I just want to give some clarity so before we dive into it, you're not like, where are we going? And so the very first part of it, we're talking about high priests, who he is, why, what he is, why it matters, then how Jesus being the high priest, and then we're going to close at the very end with us being in that priestly line and how we all are a part of this together. So let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for this today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have the privilege that we can gather here without harm, without anything preventing us. Lord, uh, a freedom to be able to seek you and praise you together. So Holy Spirit, may you have your way in this space. We call upon you to move as you are here. We acknowledge that you're here, that Jesus, that God, that you are among us, you are with us that you're not somewhere far off. But Lord, we welcome you to be the center today, the attention today, what we're fixed on today. So may you be glorified, may you be lifted high, and Lord, lead us to you. Lord, be with you, to sit at your feet, to worship you, and to praise you with all that we do. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever been looking for a job? And you're like on all the internet sources and you're just like thumbing through and skimming through all the pages and you're seeing all these different jobs. And you're like, man, I would love this job. But there's like this huge list of qualifications. And they just go on forever. And you're like, man, I feel like I have to be a rocket scientist to work at a fast food restaurant. I mean, I don't know what it is, but here we are. But you would go through this list and you're looking for a job and you would just see all these things that would be required for this position. And usually the list looks something like this, work experience. For those of you in college, I know the struggle has been real. When you get out of college, you don't have experience, but you have everything else needed, but they want someone with three to five years experience. So the struggle is real. So work experience, skills, education, professional licenses, accreditations, certifications, specific knowledge, personal traits, attributes, languages, and physical ability. I feel like I need to be a superhero when I read this thing. There's so many different things that it's required for a position. And nowadays, another thing is it's all about who you know. It's about connections. Like if I know somebody works at a job that I might want or could do, and they work there, I'm like, hey, could you uh, keep me in? Can you get me in through the door? A lot of times it's about that connection and being a part of that job. And so today we're looking at something of the lines of qualifications for a high priest. But the role of a high priest was primarily on who they knew and how they function with the Lord. But as we see in the very first four verses of chapter five, they give us the qualifications of someone being a high priest. The very first one, and this one is the most important. This is a non-negotiable qualification for someone to be a high priest. And the very first one is chosen and appointed 
by God. They couldn't just walk in and be like, I'm going to be a high priest. That was not how it worked. It's not how it rolled. But they were chosen and picked by the Lord to be the person who would function in this role. And so what usually happened is that in the high priest, if you go all the way back to Exodus, where Moses was called by God to lead the people of Israel out, there was a moment in chapter 3 and 4 where Moses said, why me? But in the process, he said, why me? Because he couldn't speak well. So the Lord told him, get his brother Aaron. And this is where it all began. That was the very first high priest and where it started for them to be someone who would be a mediator on behalf of all of the nation for everyone to get closer to God. So they were chosen and picked out. So it went from Aaron and through his bloodline and through the Levites who would be people who would serve the priest in the temple or the tabernacle of the Lord. The second is act on behalf of men in relation to God. Again, it's someone who would mediate between God and man. Someone who would stand in the middle, who would be a bridge or who would bridge the gap for men and God to meet. The third one is offer gifts and sacrifices. We really won't talk too much on that because we will be talking a lot about it later. The same for the next one. On four, compassionate towards the ignorant and wayward. Ignorant and wayward are basically people, ignorant would be unintentional sins, and those who are wayward are deliberate sins. So we'll talk about it again later. And the last one is pretty much a reiteration of the first one. No one takes this honor for himself, only God. So it's all for God and it's for God to honor him, to glorify him as he is the one who is leading it and directing it and the people to come to him. So the high priest is there to be a bridge between people and God. And this is done by performing the responsibility of their role and also sympathizing with the people. So they weren't just a robot, but they sympathized, had compassion towards the people who they were serving, the people that they were along with and doing this with. And so getting alongside them and making this idea of a bridge a reality in their experience. So the first part of this bridge and the reality of it is the priest would sacrifice for himself first. He would sacrifice for himself first. As we see in Hebrews 5.3, it says, because of this, he is obligated to after or offer a sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And I really found this like fascinating as I like read this and I was like, man, this is this is crazy. It started with him. And I think, and I believe there's probably more than just this, but something that stood out to me when I read this is that it kept the high priest humble. It kept him humble. It kept him down to reality. The priest standing before all the people would then announce his sins and then do a sacrifice for his sins. So he would proclaim his sin to Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. That would be a very daunting thing to do if I were to stand here today and tell you all my sins, which I would not be doing today. <laughs> and so he would announce them in sacrifice. And I think 
you know how easy it is for us to become prideful as servants of Jesus? Very, very easy to become prideful in what we do, even if you're not a priest or a pastor. Just simply serving and being a follower of Jesus, it's so easy to get a big head about who you are and then your arrogance lies to you and tells you that you're more spiritual than you really are. That you become prideful to the point where we start comparing to other people that we serve. So we start looking at the people that we're helping and be like, oh, I'm better. I'm better. Where you look at them with a lens that is not right. Where you see where you start acting like this Pharisee in Luke 18 and 11. It says, he standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even, even like this tax collector. Where you look at the person you're serving and be like, oh, I'm better. Lord, I don't have the same problems as him. I'm a little bit, I'm cleaner. I'm more pure. You know, you use me. That's why I'm like this. You know, that's why I'm, I'm here because of you. And I'm, I'm, I shine brighter. But that is not the case at all. So when the high priest would sacrifice for himself was a reality to show you that you are on the same ground as they are. Just because they were picked by God doesn't mean that the favor is different. Just because they are used by God doesn't mean the favor is different between you and me or anyone else that is under the family of God. They just so happen to be the person who would mediate. It doesn't mean that they are not sinful or better than all of us. So it was like this humbling factor because if they didn't have it, there would be no love, no understanding, no sympathy. And we would turn inward and believe that we're holier than thou individuals. And I don't need to explain that. We probably all have had that experience at some point. And this is not the way of Jesus at all. And it's honestly the heart posture that Jesus stands against. I think we were very clear in the scriptures and the gospels where Jesus talks about someone who was prideful. That's the first person who was to fall. But he humbled, the ones who are humble, he exalts. So to walk humbly and remembering who we are as individuals, as that's what the high priest would do, as he functioned in that role. And not only are they sympathetic, but they especially would be towards someone who is ignorant and wayward. Ignorant meaning someone who maybe just became a believer. Maybe a couple weeks in, a couple months in, maybe even a year. And they're just, they're trying to figure this stuff out. Sometimes I feel like in the church, like once you become a believer, you, you like instantly, the Holy Spirit downloads everything and you have everything figured out. And that's definitely not the case at all. And so like once you become new to your faith and even your whole life is all about growing and becoming more obedient and becoming a disciple and becoming more like Jesus. So your whole life is learning. But there's a part where in the beginning you do things unintentionally. And then you have someone else to tell you like, hey, that's a... It's actually kind of, that's wrong. And they wouldn't know. So this is someone who wouldn't know any better. So the pastor or the high priest wouldn't re respond out of anger because they didn't know better. They would have compassion on them and be like, hey, let me have sympathy and understand. And then the same is true for someone who was wayward. Basically, it's another way of saying a sheep 
who decided deliberately, who did know better, to turn and do their own thing. Knew that this was sin, that this is their choice, that this would destroy them, that this is wrong, but they wanted it anyway. So they deliberately chose, like, hey, I'm going to go this route. And this one is where it gets a little sticky in the church because I feel like a lot of times we have a lot of moments where we have people who are being committed, make a mistake, and they'll turn, and the church's response is usually backlash instead of grace and understanding. So the high priest would be compassionate towards the ones who did it unintentionally and the ones who did it deliberately. He wouldn't respond out of anger, but out of love, out of grace, because of the love that was given to him. Because it said in Hebrews that he was also beset with weaknesses and sins. So he lived in a way that he understood that we make mistakes, whether it was unintentional or intentional. That we would make mistakes. And we all, and the church is a place where we can make mistakes and move forward. The church is a place make mistakes and move forward. A lot of times I think we create hurdles instead of moving forward where we respond in grace because we all fall short to the glory of God. We all do. We all have our mistakes. We all have our things that we've done and that's okay. But this should be a place where anyone can make their way back to God. All of us in this room can have their way back to God. There shouldn't be hurdles and all these jumpings and loops and everything that someone coming in who really needs Jesus to have to go through to get back to God. Have you ever felt like that in the church? Where you felt like you couldn't get close because of the space in between the church and God that kept you from getting closer? And so the church is to be a place where grace and forgiveness, because forgiveness was what was given to all of us. So the high priest would live in the mindset of that. And not only would he have the sympathy, not only would he have the constant reminder of giving a sacrifice for himself, but actually what he wore, his priestly attire, his garments, would also do the same. So they would wear this thing and it would have a breastplate. And this breastplate would have 12 different stones. And those 12 stones would have engraved the name of the 12 tribes. Not only, but it would also be on their shoulder straps. The stones of each tribe and engraved their names. So they had it on their heart and on their shoulders. So the high priest wore the reminder that they had the burdens to share with the people. And also their heart was to be for the people. So you constantly live in a state of compassion and reminder that the Lord instilled in the high priest because their role was also very dense. Very dense. And as much as the high priest would relate with the people, he would also perform the duties of the priest on behalf of the people. So there's no priest without a sacrifice. No priests without a sacrifice. And so in the Old Testament, there was offering sacrifices. And so we're going to, I want to talk about them a little bit today just to give an understanding of the role of a high priest and how this all will paint the picture of the fulfillment through Christ. 
So the offerings and sacrifices, number one was a burnt offering. The purpose really was atonement of sin and expression and devotion to God. So it was atonement. They would give a sacrifice to the high priest. He would perform the sacrifice and it would atone for their sin. They would usually use a bull, a goat, a sheep, a dove, or a pigeon. But what I want to point out with the animals is that with the burnt offering, all these animals were from like people who could afford the bull to the people who didn't really have enough money but could afford the pigeon. Meaning that anyone can be forgiven at no cost. So it was affordable, to say the least, for anyone could have a way to be able to sacrifice for their sins. So they made a way for the people to be forgiven, even through the structure of the sacrifices, that no one was prohibited from being able to be forgiven. Secondly was grain offering. So this was another expression of devotion to God, but it was also recognizing his goodness and his providence and his ability to provide for them, their families, the crops, everything that they needed. And it would usually be in the form of bread. And there was different various forms that they would give it. And a lot of times it would also be an offering, which an offering is more or less a praise or a thank you that they would offer to the Lord. The third one is peace offering, which is another Thanksgiving offering, or sometimes it would be a free will offering or a wave offering. Um, and then they would use cattle, sheep, or a goat. And the purpose was to consecrate a meal between two parties. And it was almost in a way of just coming before God and having it almost like a covenant. The fourth is sin offering. Offering of atonement and unintentional sin. But the purpose is not to atone for the sin, but purify oneself for re-entering into the presence of God. It was a purification offering. And the last one, his guilt offering. Purpose was to make reparations to one sin, basically repentance. Guilt was a response was repentance, a holistic repentance before the Lord. They would give to the Lord as a form of repentance. So to give this a broader understanding is like the high priest would do this for almost each and every single individual in that nation. So it was a lot of work all day. Now he would have to delegate and he would have Levites who would help to do these, you know, rituals and perform all these different tasks to be able to handle the weight of all this. So it wasn't something easy. It wasn't at all. Honestly, it was really gory. But they would do this because the Lord picked them and appointed them to be the bridge. So this sacrificial system wasn't a means of do too much work but it was structured in a way as a means of grace, a restoration between the men and God and to bring everyone back and to be restored. So this was an act from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. That's where it actually started. And from that point on, it was in a direction that was set in motion to bring everyone back to God. But the function and role of this priest was only really, the high priest was only done in part. It didn't actually fulfill it completely. It was only in part. It was only a part of the whole picture. And then we know and see that in Hebrews, it could only be done through 
Jesus, who fulfilled the whole picture. And so Jesus fulfilled those things that we mentioned earlier in the beginning. He, at number one, he was appointed by God. He was appointed. You see in Hebrews 5, 5, it said, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God appointed him to be. So he was appointed by God. He was also a man. He was human being. He got tired, just like you and I. He was hungry, like you and I. He was also of flesh. Thirdly, he was able to sympathize. Because you see in verse chapter 4, verse 15, near the end, it says, Tempted as we are, yet knew no sin. Had the same temptations you and I face daily, but yet knew no sin. For he offered himself as a sacrifice. Instead of giving a sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. And so the high priest would come, go into the tabernacle. He would do some of the different things. And then what he would do, he would keep going forward. So meaning he would keep getting closer and closer to God. Once he got into the Holy of Holies, there, there would be a covenant or the Ark of the Covenant, which would have the mercy seat. And then that's where the sacrifice was made on the mercy seat, to atone for people's sin. So Jesus went to God (laughs) and became the atonement to satisfy sin that we couldn't do, that the sacrifices that were happening could not do, but he fulfilled it. He became the one and only who could. And the last thing is five. He's after a kizzle day. Now I'm going to take a few seconds to talk about this, explain who this is and why it matters. So who is Melchizedek? He has to be important if he's attached to Jesus in some way, like his name's there, he's there. But the first time you see this person is in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. The name will come up for the first time. Abraham meets him, which his name means king of righteousness who was also the king of Salem, which was Jerusalem. So these two meet for the first time where Melchizedek gives Abraham bread and wine Hmm. as a demonstration of friendship. Then he blessed Abraham, and Abraham presented Melchizedek with a tithe. So he gave him a tenth of all the items that he had gathered. So basically... Abraham indicated that he recognized Melchizedek as a priest who ranked higher spiritually than Abraham. This is significant because Abraham, as you know, had conversations with God, was with God in a crazy way. So he was able to say that this person was higher than he. So there's someone who was significant. And what made it Significant, it was that Melchizedek not only was a priest, but he was a king. So the high priest in the order of Aaron would only be a priest, not a king. So Jesus being in the order after Melchizedek gave him the ability to be a king and the priest, as Jesus is. Jesus is king, and Jesus is the high priest. So Jesus is functioning in the order after Melchizedek. 
And so Jesus fulfills all these qualifications of being the high priest. But why does it matter? Okay, he fulfilled all of them. He was appointed. He was a man. So why does this matter to you and me? Like, what does all this information I just spent the last 20 minutes talking about matter to you and me? Is the fact that Jesus gave us the freedom and confidence to have full access. It's all about access to God. That is the entire point of it. When you go to Adam and Eve in the beginning, when they were in the garden, they had full and total access to God before they made a mistake, before they sinned. And after that, the gap slowly started growing between God and man. So God, in his love and his grace, set up a system so man then can come back to God. And every bit of the culmination from when it started in the garden, when you get to Moses in the tabernacle, when you get to the temple with David and Solomon, and when you get to the destruction of everything, and then you get right where Jesus is born, every bit of this is a culmination to the fact that Jesus is the true bridge that gets you and me back to full access where we can pray anywhere. No longer do we have to bring a sacrifice. No longer do we have to do these different routines and rituals that you can wake up at your house, go to the park, be on the mountain, be in another country and pray and seek and be with God. There is no restriction, like it says, on heaven as it is in earth. Because there's no bounds because Jesus made it boundless for you and me. Full and total access that we can pray right now and he's listening. Not that we have to wait once a year and give a sacrifice. That someone else can go in and do it for us. That we didn't get the idea to be able to pray or talk and speak and be with him. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to fulfill it so we can all be there. Have the confidence to go into the throne room and be with him. And I think the reason that we don't understand this fully, and I think it's simple, is that we don't fully know what we have. And we don't fully know what we can have. It prevents us from going to the fullness of it all. So Hebrews gives us this plot line of sorts about Jesus, where the Father created all things. And Jesus left the Father's heavenly place in order to take up blood and flesh and became of the seed of Abraham then in turn allowed him to liberate God's people from slavery and inaugurate a new covenant by his death. And in his resurrection, he became the great high priest for us, God's people. And in his ascension, he returned to the Father, now as the first perfected human being. He returned to the Father in order to perform his high priestly ministry. We're in heaven. And take his seat at the right hand of God. And as he is now performing his high priestly ministry on behalf of us, where he is the mediator, standing before God for each and every single one of us, and us holistically. While he remains with the Father, he's reigning not only as the priest, but the king of the Holy of Holies, where he is with us. So then you have the order of Aaron, order of Melchizedek. Now you and I are in the order of Jesus. 
In 1 Peter 2, 9, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for its own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those of us who are believers involved with Jesus have been adopted because we were orphans. John 14, 8 says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come for you. So if you want to go learn about that, go to Galatians chapter 4, where you will learn that we are sons and daughters of God. We receive the inheritance of the Lord. The love, the joy, the peace, the happiness, and life as we function in it. And so we become in this priesthood in the order of Jesus. So as he is seated at the right hand of God, and as he is there as the high priest, we become a priesthood that serves to minister to the Lord with our devotion and ourselves where we share the good news of the gospel to the world that we live in, where we are. So we're not only saved. So salvation wasn't just to be saved. It was to have access. A lot of people in the Bible Belt down here think that we're, you know, I, I love Jesus. Yeah, he saved me. And then they don't live a life that knowing that they have access. That they can pray. They can be with him. So it's not only just salvation, but able to have relationship with the Father. And so in the presence, so then now we can pray and do all the things. So as we function as a priest, there's no more like sacrificial system that we see in the Old Testament. But there is one thing. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which means to be, be at God's disposal, available and willing to obey in whatever he asks or commands. What I'm saying is not just people who are pastors, worship leaders, or singers, those who work for the church. It is those for us who are firefighters, data analysts, nurses, stay-at-home mothers or fathers, teachers, lawyers, baristas, students, business owners, those who are military, computer engineer, IT, nonprofit work, everybody are all a part of this. We're all called to this. As sons and daughters, we get the access. But instead of keeping it to ourselves, we get to minister to the lost. We get to go to the world and tell them, hey, we know how to get to them. And it's Jesus Christ. We're the more the sheep that are wandered away and all these different things. So it all matters because if it wasn't for Jesus, none of this would be happening right now in this very moment. We would still have a priest and only he would have the privilege to go in, to do the sacrifice, the things that would need to be done to atone for you. And so, as we are all on the same level ground, the call of the high priests isn't that they are better than the rest, but they are the first sinner who makes way for others to get to God themselves. 
in our Western Christian culture, the pastor is often viewed now as not really a servant of God, but often as a king of God's people. Oftentimes, the pastor has more followers in their church than Jesus has in his church. People often live off the sermons of the pastor and songs. So the word self. The light is more on the pastor or the worship bands than Jesus. So the fixation is never meant to be about the pastor. The fixation is never meant to be about the high priest. The people never looked at the high priest and said, oh, they're so holy. But they're like, thank you for being the person who was called by God to lead me to him. It was never meant to be about that. So church, if we get to a point where we care more about our worship, how it sounds, how well taught our sermons are, and how everything is neatly and organized and appeasing, then we're headed in the wrong direction. The wrong, wrong direction. And I don't say that to be discouraging. I say that the same idea is that Jesus calls us to be with him. Calls us in a place that looks very much different to the world at times. Doesn't look the same, doesn't look flashy, doesn't look appeasing at times, but he calls us in to be in a place where we're entirely changed. So to bring this to a close, may you and I live in the qualifications that he has given us, which is chosen and appointed by Jesus. To act on half of men in relation to God. In this world, in your job, wherever you go, we get to act on behalf of them, to be compassionate. You, every time you saw Jesus in the Gospels, you see a crowd of people, there's moments where he's like, he, he just had compassion for them because he knew with their hearts and he knew they were lost. Three, you offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Four, compassionate towards the unintentional sinner and the deliberate sinners. And lastly, not taking this honor for ourselves, but only for God. So as a close, I want to just give an opportunity. Anybody wants to be prayed over, I'll have Jay, I'll have Morgan to be up here, and whoever's on the